welcome to Anyone's Game with Casey and Andy. We are two gamer nerd brothers that wanted to have a different kind of a gamer podcast. We've got some not-so-new games, some vintage views, some games that haven't seen the light of day in a while, and games that we think you'll love because anyone can play them. I'm KC. That's my brother Andy. Hey, dude. Greetings, my lord, and prithee, how art thou this fine day? Come hither, wench! <laughs> wait. So, wait, whoa, sorry. Wait, whoa, whoa. It's a family show. Sorry, that's right. Well, that's what they used to say back then. And this is a very themed episode. I guess you can guess the theme. It is. Indeed, my lord. Sports. <laughs> No. Close. <laughs> Close. Tell us what it is, Andy. It's medieval games. Or medieval themed games, right? Yeah, there you go. Not actual games from the medieval times. <laughs> That's right, yes. Because that would be difficult. Although there are a few. But anyway, um, <laughs> yes, and you have to talk like that whenever you evoke medieval theming, I guess, right? Of course, my prince! <laughs> so it's fun. And then if you've ever gone to a like a medieval festival or a renaissance fair they all talk like that too or medieval times oh yeah that's cool too oh that's the yeah. best i love that place so much yeah it is fun medieval games this is something i looked at my game shelf which i believe is vast not to pat myself on the back or anything but i looked and i thought hmm i have several medieval games but I don't have as many as I thought I did. And a lot of them are, are really heavy, deep type games. Oh, there you go. You know what I mean? So it's funny. That kind of promotes the conversation of like what defines a medieval game. Because there are a lot of games that are set in what we would call traditional fantasy, right? Sure. Um, swords and sorcery. Knights. And goblins. Yes, and like the the works of Tolkien and Narnia and C.S. Lewis and things like that, that all inspired our hobby. There's a lot of games like that, but when you talk about like purely medieval, you're talking about a specific historical time in like real life, like that actually happened, which is... <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it wasn't uh, Middle Earth. That's right. Middle Earth is not a real land. It's not real. It's not real, but it's real to some people. Like me. Anyway. Like, um, and so, me too. Okay, so what is a medieval? What does medieval mean? Okay, well, first of all, I don't know. Second of all, <laughs> you said medieval. And it, I, for years, I always said medieval. Right. So then when I got old enough to spell and was writing the word medieval, <laughs> I'm like, wait, it's medieval. Medieval. Right. It's not medieval. Tell me a little bit about what medieval is. Medieval is. <laughs> all right. Well, medieval... It's literally like from um, its roots, words are medi, M-E-D-I, which means the middle, and ev, which is age. So middle age, which means the middle ages. Oh. Yeah, there you go. So the middle ages, what were the middle ages? Well, it was kind of the time between the um, fall of the Roman Empire and the Renaissance. So somewhere between... It was like a thousand years, so it was a long time. Oh, wow. And that's enough time for dragons to exist. Oh, completely, and hobbits, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I so think that's real. real. Yeah. So it ended like around 1400, so it was like 476 to wow 1400. It was a long time, yeah. Excellent. So there you go. So that's what medieval means, but if you say it fast, it just sounds like medieval. Medieval. Mm -hmm. And games set in this genre are really, I don't know, they evoke kind of a great nostalgia. And like we said, I mentioned Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and all the other authors that have written in kind of this world where there's knights with swords and possibly fantastic creatures. 
an age where things were very new and kind of traditional, where there were no guns. And I don't know, it was just just a really, you know, it has a very attractive appeal to it that's simple. Now, we, we all obviously know that it was horrible to live back then, because like, there, there was not a lot of medicine. You know, people died really young. It was disease-ridden. You know, sure. war was horrible. But listen to the music. It was delightful. The music <laughs> yes. was amazing. The soundtrack from the Middle Ages is amazing. But there's something that we love about the uh, genre, so much so that every year, hundreds of thousands of people dress up in medieval costumes and go to medieval fairs and watch That's people right. joust and... And we go to medieval times and we root on the black and white knight. That's right. And like I said, the reality of it is probably completely different than what we imagine. But us these days just kind of wanting for some kind of simpler uh, life or simpler experience. Think about that. And right. this is kind of non-history, but parallel to what we're talking about is the age of the Arthurian knights and chivalry and King Arthur. And we all know that there was a King Arthur, but there wasn't a round table and Lancelot and all that stuff. So Says you. Okay, all right. <laughs> Over time, we've kind of created our own, this is what medieval right. um, fantasy is. This is what medieval history is. Yes. It's really interesting. So rather than try to tear it all apart and be historical about it, let's just enjoy it and like be amazed. <laughs> so, and we've got some great games that we want to talk about uh, in our not so new and even a vintage view that celebrates medieval and something we grew up on. Which kind of weirdly also has a not so new, but mm -hmm. is kind of interesting. So we'll get to all that in just a second. So let's get right to our first medieval game in. Well, you got to announce it kind of like you're at the Renaissance Fair, I think, you know, because it's kind of thematic, right? Oh, shoot. Yes. Got one shot. Right. <laughs> right. Behold, a segment where we shall uncover the hidden gems of ancient wisdom and timeless traditions that have endured the ages. This is not so new. Okay. That's how they said new in medieval times. New. So, Andy, tell us what's your medieval not so new? My medieval game to feature is called Medieval Academy. All right, here's a brief intro. Dangerous quests. Polish your education. You'll also serve the king and demonstrate your charity and gallantry. Only one squire will be knighted by King Arthur, so show us what you're capable of. There you go. That was that was great. It makes me want to play that game. I know. In the rules, that's the quote from Father Edivan Nicholas Emilius, the chairman of Medieval Academy. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> that was that was me. I was just do that guy. Wait, that was you? <laughs> All right. Medieval Academy is a game from Yellow that came out in 2014. It is for two to five players, ages eight and up, and takes a quick 30 minutes to play. Now, as I said, each player takes the role of a squire who wants to outdo the others in different training categories and score chivalry points. So at the end of the turn six, the squire who has the most chivalry points wins the game and is knighted by King Arthur. All right. So setting up takes a little bit of an explanation because you don't play on one board. You play on multiple boards. There's seven individual game boards, and each one of those boards represents a test of some sort. There's one for chivalry. There's one for jousts. There's even one for charity and gallantry and, of course, fighting a dragon. Each board has a circle of spaces around it. And usually, the farther around the circle your disc is, the more points you score. 
Now, there are also cards in the game called learning cards. There's 52 of them. They have multiple suits that actually match the different boards on the table. So the cards that match the dragon scoreboard are red, and the ones that match the joust scoreboard are blue, etc. And each of the cards is numbered between two and five. Now, so you shuffle all those cards and you deal five to each player. Then each player chooses a color and takes 10 wooden discs of that color, and you place one of those discs on zero or on the starting location of each game board. And as I said, there's a track on each game board uh, where you track your score for that specific test. The first player is the player who strikes the most chivalrous pose, which I'm doing right now, but you can't see. And he takes the Excalibur pawn and starts the game. That's it. You set up the game on each of these individual boards and you're ready to go. Now, on your turn, a turn is simultaneous, so everybody acts at the same time. There's six rounds in the game, and each round you deal cards, you draft cards, you get cards from your right, and you pass yours to the left. Then you have a new hand of cards. You look at those cards, you choose one, put it face down, you pass them to the left, the person on the, your right gives you their cards, and so on until everyone has drafted all the cards. So you have a hand of five cards. That's the drafting phase. Now the interesting part of the game is when you play the cards. So starting with the first player, who, if you'll remember, has the Excalibur pawn, they play their card, which is a number between one and five that matches one of the boards, and then they move their pawn on that board. So for example, if they have a dragon card, and they play the four dragon card, they take their disc, and they move it five spaces on the dragon scoreboard. That's it. Next player plays their card. They move their disc on the scoreboard that relates to their card. And then the next player, next player, until everyone has played all five of their cards. All right, so that is the play cards phase. Then is the scoring phase. And this is what gets really interesting. So each board scores a bit differently. And it's kind of complicated to describe, so I won't just go into every board and how it scores. But basically, when you move your pawn around, if you're the furthest person around in the circle, you're going to get more points. The person in second place will get less points, and so on. Now, each of the boards, I will summarize to say there are four boards that score every round. So after everybody's played all their five cards, four of the boards will score. There are two boards that only score on turns three and six. So after um, phase three, you've played three phases, there are two boards that score at that point. And then there's two boards that only score at the end of the game, and that's the dragon. One of, one of them is the dragon and the king. So the boards score at different times during the six phases of the game. So when you're playing your cards, you can have a short strategy for get as many points as you can each round, but you have to play the long game too, because you want to get as far along as you can on the dragon track to make sure you try to be the person who slays the dragon that's cool. after six whole turns yeah so that's it you repeat um this for six rounds and and when you score points they're called they're called chivalry points you you take little um cardboard coat of arms and they are between one and three points for the main boards and then some other fancy ones but you put them face down in front of you so no one can kind of remember exactly how many points you have and then after the end of six rounds, everybody flips over their coats of arms, reveal their chivalry points. Whoever has the most points wins. And that is how you play Medieval Academy. That sounds really, really fun. And I'm looking at the pictures of it. Um, the art is so cool. It looks, it's so inviting. And 
The way you're explaining it, it sounds fairly simple. Yeah, it's extraordinarily simple. Um, and like you said, the the art does make it very, very inviting. It is purely a family game. It is a card playing game that you know you just simply have a hand of cards. You play a card and you move your token. Um, it does take a little bit of thought as you get further rounds because, as I said, some of the boards like the jousting. There's a jousting board. And every turn you play these blue cards that move you around the jousting scoring board. And then after everybody's played their cards, whoever's furthest along gets points. But there's another board that's very interesting, and it's called the gallantry board. That scores every round two, but it doesn't give you points. It lets you move a disc on one of your other scoring boards. Ah, cool. Yeah, so if you're very gallant to the princess, she will give you a little benefit to moving your token on one of the other tests. Cool. Kind of help you cheat, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. Yes, so the interesting thing on each of the scoring boards, it's also really easy because the way you score, how you score points, is on the upper right-hand corner of each of these little um, these little six inch square boards. So there's no question is like, how does this work? If you're first, you get three points. If you're second, you get two, that kind of thing. Now, there are a couple other boards that are a little more complicated and you know, we let people discover that, but it's not so complicated. It's like, I don't get it. It's, you know, it's really, really easy and accessible. So there's not a lot more to say about it, except it plays very quickly, teaches very quickly brilliant game really good great very accessible um if you can find it online for like i don't know used for like 17 bucks new for like 35 dollars um now yellow is is doesn't print games anymore in the united states so it is technically out of print but you can still find it easily so highly recommend medieval academy excellent choice that's fun thanks man well mine hark noble audience and gather round for my not so new. Pretty tell. <laughs> Mine is King Domino. It may not be the most thematic of when you think of a medieval game, but however, it is set in medieval times. And yeah. is there a dragon in it? Not yet. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Ah, Spoiler yeah. alert. All right. Well, let's talk about King Domino. King Domino is from 2017. It's a game for two to four players. Takes about 15 to 25 minutes to play tops. It's very quick. It was designed by the great Bruno Cathala and is published by Blue Orange Games. It says eight and up, but I would say maybe even six and up. It's that simple. In King Domino. You are a royal seeking new lands to expand your ever-growing kingdom. Explore and conquer the different terrain and develop the best and richest territories for your people. Scour lands full of wheat fields, forests, lakes, grasslands, swamps, and mines, diversifying your kingdom's riches along the way. Make sure to plan and acquire carefully, as others are also coveting these valuable properties. In King Domino, unbelievably simple. It's a 48 tile game. Each one has a terrain on each side. Uh, All those terrains I was just explaining. It looks like a domino. It has wheat fields and forests and lakes and grasslands and swamps and mines. Now, sometimes they're different and sometimes they're the same on each tile, like a double in domino. You know, you have like a double three, you may have a double lake. And some of those tiles will have a crown or multiple crowns on them. And these are really important. You're going to want these tiles. And I'll tell you why when I talk about scoring right at the end of the game. All right, here's the deal. You start with a square with your little castle on it. It's a cool cardboard little thing you put together. And then you have your little king meeple or keeple, as I call it. They don't call it that, but that's what I say. (laughs) So you flip over four different tiles and make a domino row with these tiles. 
and you place your king on the one that you want. And then somebody else places their king and you place your king. And so we have all four tiles covered if we're playing a four-player game. And then a second line of four terrain dominoes are revealed. Then starting at the top place on the top line of those dominoes, the person with their king in that, that tile places that domino in their kingdom. Now you're going to try to get terrain adjacent to the same terrain and place these tiles into a five by five grid. Once you place your terrain domino next to your castle, then you take your little king, keeple, and you put it on another one in that other domino row saying, that's the domino I want for the next round. Now, if you can't play a tile, like after you're going through and, and it just doesn't fit, like you have a double water tile and you have no water squares to place it next to, you have to discard it. But we go back and forth. Players take turns doing this until all the domino tiles are gone. And then you count up your score. And this is really, really cool. For every territory that you have, uh, you count the number of connecting terrain squares, you know, like seven lakes. And you multiply that number by the total number of crowns found in that territory. Remember I told you about the crowns? So let's say you have those seven lakes and you have three crowns in that territory. You get 21 points, seven times the three crowns. But let's say you have nine forests and you have zero crowns. Womp, womp, womp. Did they do that in medieval times with like I, a trombone? They, well, I think they had those big horns with flags on them, but I don't think they could do the <laughs> womp, womp. <laughs> <laughs> like that? Yeah. Well, then uh, nine times zero is zero. So you would get zero points, even though you had nine forests there. What's also cool is it, it pars it down for how many ever players you're playing with. Uh, in a two-player game, you just use 24 domino tiles. Three-player, you use 36. And for all four, you use 48 tiles. I love this game with four people because... The tiles that you want are going to get taken by somebody else. And like I said, when you put your king on the next row and the next domino that you want, if you are at the top king meeple, that one gets to place theirs first. And then that means they also get to take their king meeple and place it on the next one that they want first. Um, but the one with two forests and two crowns on it, one that you really, really want, maybe at the bottom of the row. And so you're going to be going fourth on the next round. Uh, just a very, very simple game. And the medieval theme kind of comes out because you're creating this kingdom. But it also created this King Domino craze when it came out that we sort of hinted towards. There's Queen Domino. There's Dragomino. Oh, yes. Uh, there's a King Domino Duel, which is a roll and write game. We've talked about those before. And now there's a King Domino Origins, which has like mammoths and all these, uh, all these creatures and things. But I, I really love the original because as I was telling Andy before we started this podcast, is that when I first saw the game, I thought, eh, it looks cute. You know, you're just laying tiles and looks kind of simple. Yeah. But then once you start playing it and, and, and trying to make your five by five grid and getting the most terrain next to the other terrain, while the other players are getting the terrain that you want or the crowns that you want and scoring points, this is one of those games that is very strategic because it's not a hidden points game. I can see exactly how many points Andy's going to get. And if he gets that tile over there, he's going to get that many more points because there's three crowns on it and he's going to multiply all of those. So I better get that to stop him, even though I may not want that tile yet. I need it. It's just a really simple, great game. 
King Domino. And that is um interesting part of the game. Not only that the you were saying how you choose the next tile or when you go first and you place the tile and you you get the choice uh, of the tile yep. that you want on the side, but seeing the tiles that other people would want um is really key to the game and stopping them from getting the tiles they need is as important as you getting the tiles you need and i'm awful at this game because <laughs> i always <laughs> because i always take tiles and then they don't fit and it's it's not i can never it's fine it's it's totally so simple and fun and quick yes. that i'm 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 fine with losing all the time but it's great to play and it's great to yeah. fun now i must say that you're kind of like this kind of is medieval but i got some news for you casey yeah. this is a medieval game and now it's time for casey and andy's educational moment well this is based on a game called dominoes which originated in china in the year 1120 1120 is right in the middle of the Middle Ages. Maybe not in Europe, but in China anyway. And the original game is called Quat Pai, meaning bone tablets, or sometimes Upai, barbarian tablets. And Chinese dominoes became normal dominoes or Western dominoes. And Western dominoes are basically tiles. And when you play these different games, you have to match the sides of them together. They're usually tiles or bone tiles. Um, they have blank ones. There's usually 55. They have numbers on them. And like a deck of cards, you can play dominoes in many different ways. Western dominoes came into being right, some people estimate, right around the year 1500. And that's just during the Renaissance. So by playing King Domino, you're actually playing a game that originated from a medieval game in China and a game from the 1500s in Europe. And that is what we know about the game dominoes today. Thank you. That's like an good. NPR moment, I thought. Yeah, exactly. It's perfect. <laughs> That's King Domino. And trust me, anyone can play this game. I think your family's going to love it. And it's pretty inexpensive, too. You can get it anywhere online. Go to your friendly local game store. It's around 16 to $17. That's right. And also, I might mention, it's won a lot of awards. Like it oh, was, yes. It won the Game of the Year, which we we know is called the Spiel des Jahres. It's the German board game of the year back in 2017. And a lot of other awards everywhere. So... Don't take our word for it. Take the world's word for it. <laughs> <laughs> so those are our medieval, not-so-new games. Now we're really going to go not-so-new. That's right. We're going to go vintage. And oh, so Casey, for our featured vintage view game, mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a clue. Can, can you tell me what game we're going to talk about? Ready? <laughs> For anybody that's listening that are nerd gamers like we are, you're like, oh my God, that's the best game ever. It's you the most know classic. what that is. It is Dark, Dark Tower. Tower. So Dark Tower is the game we're going to talk about, our vintage view, a game that Andy and I grew up playing. I played with my kids. They are playing with their friends. But we have to be very, very careful with it because it is from 1981 and it has quite a history to this game, Andy. Um, can you, in a nutshell, explain why Dark Tower is one of the most collectible board games out there? That's right. So in 1981, Dark Tower came out. It was from Milton Bradley. It was one of those vintage games that we've talked about in the past that had an electronic 
element. So you have a board that you lay out on the table. It has four quadrants. There are buildings in each quadrant, um, the ruins, the temple, the sanctuary, things like that. So you have these locations. You are a warrior of your of your area, and you have to travel around the board and collect three keys to get to the Dark Tower and defeat the brigands that are occupying the towers. And anybody who doesn't know what a brigand is, that's like a, a thief, like an old medieval thief or guy on the side of the road who like attacks your covered wagon or something. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> although in this game, they look a little bit more like goblins or freaky yeah. like people. So the tower itself is the centerpiece of this game. And at this time, it was an electronic device that when you turned it on, it asked you how many players, it asked you what level of play you wanted to play, and it would secretly put a number of brigands in the tower that would be defending the Dark Tower. Your goal was to get to the tower, find the three keys, decode the code to enter the tower, and defeat the brigand. Yes. And, and I mean, wow, already I'm in. I'm in all the way, right? When I teenage Andy <laughs> right. and under teenage Casey were like, let's do it. <laughs> Middle school. Right, exactly. Yes. Now, the tower itself has a keypad on it, and there are buttons on there that you push whenever you want to do something on your turn. Now, the cool thing about the tower is it has a motor in it, and it has a very specific motor grinding sound from the 1980s. <laughs> you don't know how else to describe it. it it's like a, it's got belts and gears, and it goes like that, and it makes that sound, which is actually part of, of one of the things that makes me love this game is because I remember that sound. And then... Inside, the, the motor turns a, kind of a, a cylindrical wheel that's filled with illustrations of what happens to you on your turn. And there's a window that looks like a giant tower window. And when you're facing your side of the tower and you do whatever it is you do, say you move or you explore the sanctuary or something like that, you hear the motor turn and then lights. There are three lights, top, middle, bottom, that light up what happens to you this see-through image of of the uh, brigands or of the treasure. There's an end turn button and you push that and you you um, you turn it to the next player and, and you can't really see what they do. So it that's the tower. The tower is this self-contained little computerized game all locked away inside. And in the 1981, that was magic. It was like 42 it, years ago. It was, it's amazing. It was magical yeah, it's like, to cool. have that. So So that's the tower that's in the center of the board. Basically, on your turn, you take your little warrior guy and you move a space. And if you move onto a normal space, you push the move button. Now, when you pushed move, multiple things could happen. And it's all randomized by the amazing computer inside from this, 1981. From 1981 inside this dark tower. So when the player is taking their turn, the other players can't see what you're doing. That's right. They have to listen to the sounds to kind of see what happened to you. And that's why we're doing the sounds because they're like ingrained in our mind because you're watching someone else play their turn. And if you hear this sound, that means they just lost two warriors because they got a plague, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, or, right. Yeah. or if you hear this sound, they are lost and they have to go back to the last space. so frustrating when you're lost now so that's the major those are the spaces that don't have anything on them but when you enter a specific building you're looking for those keys and you could find them on normal spaces but most of the time you'd find them like in the buildings and the tomb and the ruins were the two buildings you would go to to kind of like explore and when you opened the door or landed on the spaces you would push the tomb ruin button and you would hear this sound 
And in the tomb or ruin, you may find gold. That's right. You may find a key, like Andy said. You also may find brigands, and then your warriors go to battle with the brigands. When you defeat the brigands, or when you enter these spaces, you might find treasures. So there's multiple different treasures you can find. Like I said, the ones you want to find are the keys. Now, the interesting thing about the keys is they don't have a sound effect. It just goes, no. it just goes blip, and you hear a beep. And, the oppo- and you wonder what they got. Mm, what's that? Did they get a key? Did they not get a key? Um, and there's also other things you can find, like um, a sword. You can find a magical sword. That's really cool. That is cool. Yeah. And then you can also find a Pegasus, which sounds like this. Oh, delightful. And that lets you fly on the Pegasus to any other space. That's right. That's right. So there's all kinds of these interesting things that happen. And as you travel around the board, if you're the first player, so it's a little bit of a race, too. If you're the first player to get to the Dark Tower space, you push the Dark Tower button, and it sounds like this. And then the number of brigands is revealed to you, right? Not unless you put the keys in the correct order. Because it will ask you the silver key, the gold key, and the bronze key. That's right. It's the riddle of the keys. And you'll guess the order of them. And if you get it wrong, uh, you got to spin the tower and the next player's turn. And then what comes back around, you get to guess again. And once you figure out the riddle of the keys, then you find out how many brigands your warriors have to battle. That's right. And uh, it can get pretty disparaging because you'll see like a a ton of brigands. You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to win. But you have to kind of hang on and see. Now, if you lose, you're kind of like it. Most of the time, you're you're pretty much done. Unless there's a player that's so far behind that that they can like you can have time to go visit like the healer or the uh, sanctuary and get some more warriors and come back to the tower. But if you win, you win the game. All right, Casey. So what is cool about this game? What is cool about this game? What do you love about this game? Everything is so cool about this game. <laughs> uh, I love the simplicity of it. I love the riddle of the keys. I love the board. It's beautiful. The tower It's really interesting. My kids are 20 and 22 years old, and they still think it is the coolest game ever. I agree. Explaining to their friends, they're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Because one thing we didn't say is uh, one of the buildings you can go to is the bazaar. And at the bazaar, you can buy warriors. You can buy a scout that will help you not get lost. You can buy a beast that will carry more gold. It's so deep for this age and time period that yeah. uh, it's one of those games that's not overly competitive. It's not, you don't, you're not at each other's throats Yeah, and you're trying to keep track of how much food you have. So, <laughs> so that's what I was going to say is the bazaar where you buy things, you kind of, so this is interesting. It introduces a little bit of a mechanic that's used in modern day board games. And that's, you have to watch your resources because right. you have to buy food to feed your warriors. If you don't have enough food, so if you have, let's say, for example, 10 warriors, they're going to eat two food units per turn. If you have 30 warriors, they're going to eat like four units per turn. So the more warriors you have, the more food you have to have. And if you run out of food, your warriors start dying. Yes. You hear hear them die every turn. You have to do that. Gold as well. You can use gold to buy things. And when you find gold, you have to buy food usually. So it's interesting. You have to balance the resources just to to maintain your little army that's marching across the board. And that's something that is incorporated in lots of games now. That's right. And the randomness that that was put into that tower was pretty impressive for 1981. And one of the biggest random things that you could find or come across in the game, which we haven't discussed, is the dragon. And Andy talked about the sword 
Now, if you happen to have that sword, when the dragon attacks, if you have that sword that Andy talked about, you slay the dragon, and you may hear the other player, this happened, you hear the dragon attack them, and then all of a sudden you're like, no, they had the sword, and they get all of the warriors, all of the gold, all of the food that the dragon had eaten so far and collected, they get all of that. It's just awesome. That's right. And it also came with this cool 3D dragon figure that after you were attacked by the dragon, you got to put that dragon on a space and the players, uh, warriors couldn't move in that space. So it kind of gave you a little, yeah, I'm sorry, you were attacked by the dragon, but you can put the dragon (laughs) like next to your phone now and now you can't move there. That's right. What do you love about uh, about Dark Tower? The electronic tower, of course, is captivating and, and amazing. But I have to tell you, one of my favoriteest, favoriteest, favoriteest thing is about this game is the art by Bob Pepper. So Bob Pepper is, uh, wow, he was a illustrator from like the 60s and 70s. Um, he did art for the Dark Tower. And every little frame in the rotating tower window is a piece of his original art. And the box art and the art on the board and the art in the tower are all really, really cool things that no one has seen, I think, before this time in a game. And I think people will agree that, you know, art and beautiful artistry in games is something that immediately makes you want to play that game. It immediately jumps off the shelf at you. And that was true for this game. When you saw this game and you saw like the little windows light up in the little tower. Um, it's just so cool. Like the dragon, the wizard is like, looks so, he looks like, um, the wizard looks like for fans of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, he looks like Tim, the wizard who blasts everything. He's got like ram horns. It does. I mean, everything is so gorgeous and colorful Yeah. and it's just an art style. So if you have a chance, go look up Bob Pepper's art. His illustrations are beautiful. It made the experience so amazing that that's one of my my favorite things too. So all in all, this is a very expensive game because it's way out of print. Yes. Um, I think at the time it was like 40 or $50. I can't remember back because we played it at Christmas. We played it with families. We played it and played it and played it. In fact, my first gaming convention I ever went to in, uh, it was in Cincinnati, Ohio. I drove down, I was like 16 years old and I drove down and I walked in the upper level and there were like eight tables of people just playing Dark Tower. Wow. Uh, this is like 1984, 1983. Um, it was amazing. It was really popular at gaming conventions at that time because it sparked everybody's imagination like it sparked ours. And um, right now, uh, like you said, Patrick loves it. Yes. Ethan, my uh, 23-year-old son, um, every now and then I'll get a text from him with a picture. Hey, look what we're playing, Dark Tower. Anyway, so that's um, that's Dark Tower. Anything else you want to talk about? Yeah. The other interesting thing is what makes it so collectible and went out of print is the origins of it. There were two guys, uh, Robert Burton and Alan Coleman, two indie game developers that came to Milton Bradley with this idea. And they had the drawings and the whole blueprint of this tower, this rotating tower. And they said it was great. And then Milton Bradley said, "Eh, we're not going to do it. So they went home empty handed. And then Milton Bradley did it. And they were like, wait a minute, that's my dark tower. So they took them to court. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, they went to court and the court awarded these two guys $700,000 at that time, which right now would be about $2 million is from what I read. That's great. Yeah, I didn't know that story. But because of that, 
Uh, Milton Bradley stopped printing it and they didn't want to get in probably more trouble or, you know, anyway, they stole these guys idea and just did it them themselves. And so it's, uh, it's highly, highly collectible for this reason. Yeah. Unless you got a lot of money or if you know a friend who plays it, it's going to be difficult for you to play, but we wanted to highlight it because it is the perfect vintage medieval game to talk about. That being said, if you don't mind me jumping in, they did re- Visit Dark Tower with a brand spanking new return to Dark Tower, which Andy and I were discussing this. Should we talk about this on the podcast or not? Because it looks similar. The board is very similar. There's the bazaar and the ruins and the sanctuary. And there's a giant electronic tower in the middle of the board. And that's about where the similarities end <laughs> because yeah, it yeah. is is it a very simple march around get three keys game no no you have a character it's an app driven game the tower now it's amazing it turns and spins and skulls drop out of it and glyphs show up. Right. The, the, the tower is actually controlled uh, through Bluetooth with an app. And the, you sign into the app and you actually enter a lot of things of what you're doing in the app. And it controls the tower. Sound effects. Like you said, little doors pop open. It's really cool. Um, the, the game itself, the gameplay has been updated to be, you know, 21st century complicated fantasy like high level game nerd mechanics so but one one thing is it's cooperative you can play a cooperative version or a competitive version so the the dark tower from from the 80s was only competitive i will say it is one of my favorite favorite new games to play it's just not a game that anyone can play that's right like the 1981 dark tower so we did want to mention it because it is out it is probably it costs less than if you wanted to look for the dark tower original dark tower <laughs> that's true but it's still over a hundred dollars it's still quite expensive so return to dark tower came out from restoration games a couple years ago um and it's it actually i think last year it, i think it just won the uh dice tower award for best new or best innovative game or something like that well that brought back a lot of memories with our vintage view in dark tower and our medieval games. Would you like to sign us off with uh, a medieval sign-off? <clears throat> Thank you, my lords and ladies, for attending us on our show about medieval games for pleasure and fun and pageantry. And next, sh- <laughs> and next show, we will feature a wonderful assortment of games that feature interesting movement mechanics. <laughs> uh, back in my day, we had wagons and wheels and... Some people designed ornithopters <laughs> with feathery wings that they never worked. But anyway, we'll feature new movement mechanics in games and have a this just in game. Thank you and tune in next time. <laughs> okay, 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 that's okay, enough. Okay, okay, that's okay. enough. We'll see you next time on Anyone's, anyone's game, game with Casey and, and Andy. Andy. And here's hoping everyone plays games that anyone can play. Forsooth! Forsooth!